This is Coda Radio, episode 102 for May 19th, 2014. Everyone, you're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good morning. I mean, oh, I apologize. Good afternoon. Right. New time, man. New time. Good afternoon to both of us. And uh, I'm using this afternoon as an excuse. I poured myself. Get ready for this. You ready for this? A sparkling blackberry and tequila for this episode on the rocks. Huh? So I'm doing a fancy style now. I don't what do you, what do you have over on your end over there? Uh, I, I, I kind of ran out of bourbon. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, what? He's a jackass. I am a jackass. Uh, <laughs> right off the top. <laughs> Jack, go get me some bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, right before we started the show today, now... Coming up on today's show, we got a lot of good feedback, <clears throat> and we got one that was really long, so we're going to paraphrase it, paraphrase it in the show, but uh, it's going to spark a discussion around Microsoft. Now, don't go anywhere, because I think it's going to be an interesting conversation, and it's one that I'm glad that Mike are going to have, Mike and I are going to have today, because in the next few weeks, this is the calm before the uh, Google I.O. and WWDC storms, and so I think it's fair to give Microsoft their due before those things happen, because otherwise, you know, they're going to be out of the conversation in a few weeks for a while, right, just because these events are just so massive, they sort of dominate the air. Uh, so it's good this week. We're going to talk about Microsoft after we get through some of your follow-up. But, Mike, the first thing, this most important thing we got to talk about, right before we started the show today, you said you had – actually, I heard it. I caught you. I heard it. I heard the classic Android new mail notification. What? 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 <laughs> Did you get a new Android phone? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that I got the HTC M8. No! Oh! oh, man, I want that phone so bad. You know, Ting just got that phone. I want that so bad. How do you like it? Uh, it is quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Have I you? Have, it has this fancy cover for it that like opens like a book. Oh, that is and cool. When it's a, when it's asleep and it's got the cover on it, it has holes in it, so you see like a digital the, readout. The clock, yeah. yeah. It it looks it's like an old style clock. clock. Yeah. You can answer you can answer calls by touching the cover. Oh man. It. So, um, have you listened to a podcast on those speakers? Yes, it's fantastic. Yeah. Your voice has never been. Right, you know, it's like a siren's call, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's drawing you in. You want to just go live in the phone. I know. I do. The, the HTC makes some really good kit, and uh, they're. I think they're making the best Android phone on the market. The only thing I still think my Nexus Five has going for it, other than the price unlocked, is I think it's slightly thinner still than the HTC M8, and I do appreciate that in my in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it looks like a it looks like a gorgeous phone. How's how's the battery life and performance, and most importantly, how's the camera? It's pretty good. Uh, so I've used the camera about twice. I'm not a big camera first person. Yeah. Well, you wait till you and the, the little lady start. Uh, never mind. I won't go down. I'm not even going to jinx you, but trust me, there may be a point in your life where it becomes important. Oh, no. Will I be adding? Hey, you know what? I could use some more QA testers. Actually. <laughs> that's that's what I've, I've been thinking about help. line producers. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying I wrote, a, I wrote a blog post last night about how you know, we could get to 100% Coda Radio employment pretty soon. Yeah, we could. I mean, uh, so you've got Fingertip that's hiring, 
and DigitalOcean Digital Ocean is hiring. I mean, the only thing that would make that better is if we were hiring here at the studio, but we already filled that position that's open. Right. Well, that's okay because, you know, me and Dio are going to fill the slack. Yeah. Uh, and then once you uh, – you mean you could have – see, the thing is that's a great thing is kids aren't – unlike pets, kids can actually be put to work. At least I hope. That's my plan at least. All these three kids will finally pay you off. You know, I thought there was some kind of one of those law thingies about that. No, the law is in your favor in this regard. Like, you don't have overtime laws, I think. And, like, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff that's in your, that's tilted to your favor. I'm oh, if they're you. your kids, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, if they're your kids, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyways, we'll keep us posted on the M8. That way you can tease me, and over the period of the next month, you'll finally convince me to buy one. Yes. Just in time for you to switch back to, like, the iPhone 6 or something that they announced in June or something. Never going to yes. happen. It's not going to happen. But uh, Ooh, Maybe the iPhone 6. In June? Would you consider switching back to the iPhone if it was all big and stuff? Um... I don't know. I don't think we're getting a June iPhone, first of all. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess you're referring to the digitized mocks. Yeah, there's the leaked images of, like, the molds and all that kind of right. stuff. Right. Yeah. They seem to indicate, like, a 5.7-inch iPhone. Is that what's holding, is that what's holding the iPhone back for you? Because for me, it's, it's, uh, I find Android more enjoyable to use from, like, a tinker, geek enthusiast standpoint. I find iOS to be a very good and efficient OS, but... Um, a little limiting for what I want to do. You know, I don't know if it's if it's the size itself. Yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking. I don't think it's the screen size. Because actually, to yeah. be honest with you, I kind of like a smaller phone in some regards in terms of, like I was saying, I hate having stuff in my pockets. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, should, we should probably get to our email, huh? Should we get to our first feedback? Let's do it. All right, our first one comes in from Zach, and I don't know if it's uh, – a new Zach or a regular Zach, but uh, he no, writes this in. Is, this is our Zach. Okay, so get ready for this. He says, hey, guys, love the show. Man, that's nice. It's good since you work with him. I was also yeah. wondering if you think it's essential for non-programmer PMs to know how to program. Non-programmer PMs to know how to program. Also, what skills would lead to an effective project manager? Thanks, P.S. I enjoy the coffee and gaming talk, as always, and the Linux stuff, of course. So should a, should a PM – now, I, I – I got two. I'm of two minds of this, Mike. So, what do you think? Should a PM have uh, at least some development background? Maybe it's nothing fancy, but at least a, a, a you know core concepts understanding kind of thing. You know, it's interesting because there are, there are certain advantages to having that. I mean, people can't pull crap on you quite as easy. Sure. Um, but I actually think it's more important for a PM, especially in the type of work we do, to have more of a design background. Because at the end of the day, when you're interfacing with the client, his issue is almost always going to be about the shade of blue. Yeah, true, right? right. That's where a I lot mean, of the conversations get hung up and stuff. Yeah, I think it depends greatly on where you're working. Certainly at a place like Google, you probably need that hard dev background. Um, yeah, see, that's what I was thinking was from a uh, fellow uh, coworker respect. Like developers might have more respect and listen a little more intently to the PM if they know that PM has an understanding of what their work involves. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I, that's why I'm of two it, minds it's on it. It's tough because the other thing is if, if you spend all your time learning how to be a developer well, then you're not really being a good PM. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So <clears> that's yeah. kind of a different skill set. So I think, I think if, you're, if, if you're not working with – if you're a PM for uh, a totally non-development related project, I don't think it really matters so much. But if you're working with developers, why not, why not take advantage of like online learning courses? You know, I know and, like like those at the Linux Academy. Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just kind of get spend some of your afternoons or your evenings. Maybe if you have something equivalent to twenty percent time, like anybody has that outside of Google, I don't know. But 
you know, there's ways to sort of bring that skill set up. You don't have to go write some app and or some massive website or whatever it is. Just have a basic understanding. I think that would do it. All right, here's one that we might have a little fun chewing on. David writes in. He, he's got a, he's got a question about reining in execs. He says, anyhow, I've recently started a position which initially was framed as development and occasionally having to troubleshoot or reboot the phone system and server in the other offices. What the real gig is, though, is more like this. You're now the developer, the sysadmin, the desktop support, basically the entire ID department. I guess I should have known, he says. However, the bigger problem is that tasks come in from everywhere, top to bottom, without any priority besides always being ASAP. What are some tools or practices I can implement to rein in people in and allow me to organize and prioritize my workloads that I am not just buried all the time? I have burnt out here in just a few months already, not to mention that looking into the existing code and infrastructure is like opening the ark from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Your face melts. I can I can see that if this company begins to scale quickly, things are going to be things are going to be collapsing. And guess who will be called to make it work? Is the solution just to move on? I feel like the same problem could exist anywhere I go. Thanks for the great show, David. Wow, yeah, that is a common problem, David. Uh, yeah, I boy, the priorities coming in from all directions. Whoo! Yeah, I've been there. I feel that. Yeah, way. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, it, unfortunately, you're just going to get all the work and kind of suffer through it. Yeah, and the problem is, is what you really kind of need is like a ticketing system. Uh, but yeah. you got to get somebody up in management to buy off on it because it's kind of important that everybody uses it, even management. So you could just uh, what you could start doing is people are probably aware of how busy you are. Um, so exploit that. Exploit the fact that people are probably aware they're taking advantage of you and say, I need to have all this pipe through a certain part um, and set up a tracking system like that. There's a lot of easy ones out there to deploy. I think that would help a lot. And then eventually, and it will, don't expect it to, if they, if this company has the culture of being able to just contact direct, you know, go directly to you and have you fix something, it's going to take a while to change that. And Mike, I got to figure, you've been in a position where you have a client where three or four different people from that client are contacting you with change requests and things like that. How have you in the past sort of managed that? Do you, do you stipulate when you go in, we're going to have one point of contact or what's, what's your approach to that? So we don't necessarily stipulate one point of contact, but certainly, uh, you know, we just give a heads up, like for things like additional work that maybe aren't from the person who made the original scope. Just kind of let them give them a heads up, and hopefully, they kind of sort that out on their end. Uh, you know, in a case to, where you don't have being able to charge more as kind of a leverage, I would say. You really need to kind of get everybody in a room together or on a Skype call together and say you all want this long list of things, but we need to prioritize certain things. Yeah. And, and yeah. What, what do you think? Like, uh, <clears throat> Have you ever had the situation where you've tried to uh, convince management to do something or use a process they didn't want to use? Like maybe all the time. it's. Yeah. And it's one of these things where I think generally, unless they're unreasonable, if you can demonstrate to them the, the business reason for it, it, usually they'll go along with it. And sometimes you can even do that by initiating a ticket management system or a bug tracker or whatever you want to call it. And even sometimes if just you use it and you enter all the tickets, and I know that's more work and that sounds like such a pain in the butt, but what you will build is a documentation trail of the kind of work from the different people, put user IDs in there, and you can then bring that to management <clears throat> And say, look at this. Look at these requests from all these different angles. I need this to all be funneled through one spot. And that management 
the people in that position would have to be crazy not to do something that's going to increase end user support, uh, going to improve end user support and increase your efficiency. They'd be crazy to turn that down. You just got to give them the proof. All right. Uh, Our next email is, well, we got a few emails like this. We got like three emails like this, and people are freaking out about the future of Android. They think uh, things, because of this Oracle case, are going to go horribly wrong, and we've got a few people who emailed in asking if they should abandon the Android platform. I'm going to read the best email I thought of the batch, but before we do that, I want to tell you about our first sponsor, because we were just talking about self-starting and learning, and giving yourself, and you know, on your own time, on your, on your own schedule, giving yourself the opportunity to increase your skill set, well, our first sponsor this week is a perfect place to start. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That way you get the Coder Radio discount. It'll take $5 off the membership for the life of your account. So what is Linux Academy? It's a custom-built system by a bunch of experts who came together and said, you know what, we need a, uh, uh, an academy where people can go and try out up to seven different Linux distributions and have the documentation automatically adjust, something where people can self-start and it tracks their progress where they're at with video course introductions and a system where it gives you an entire listing of, okay, here's all the coursewares. Here's the kit broken up by categories. Maybe it's AWS development, right, on the Amazon systems. Maybe you want to explore OpenStack and become an expert in there because, man, there are so many OpenStack gigs these, these days. It's, it's a huge area to make money. Maybe you're one of these guys, like we just had an email from, where you're getting pushed more and more into the DevOps positions and you need it to brush up that skill set. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders and check out what they've got. They've got step-by-step video courses, and every course lab that needs a server, they will spin up a server for you automatically, even on the AWS instances. You don't have to worry about the cost of Amazon Web Services. As you go through the course, you can download the video, PDF guides, and MP3, so you can listen in the car while you're commuting or in the shower like Seth does, whatever works for you. And don't forget, as you move along, you can keep track of your progress. So if one week you've got more time to devote to your self-education, then you can work on it. You can double down. On the weeks when you can only get a few hours in here and there, at least, you know, when you go back, you can resume right where you left off. And if you're ever worried, you can quiz yourself. They have built-in tools to see how much you're retaining and then give you a little bit of feedback on areas where you could improve. Plus, they have a community aspect, forums where people are discussing the tests that they're taking, the results of their certifications. I think it's a pretty neat service. And they're adding new courseware all the time. Sometimes two to three times a week, there is new courseware being added. They have team accounts too for groups so if you're in a business or a small project that or even a large business and you want to get in there and all work together you can collaborate and you can still take advantage of our discount by going to linuxacademy.com slash coder so go keep track of your progress go make that resume a little bit better maybe something that you could ask for a little bit more money or maybe that client will pay a little bit more for that service because you have that expertise in that area now is a better time than ever and the tools have never been more mature and more advanced and these guys built something amazing over the last few years from the ground up to make this possible so go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders and go get started on your own course really you have the tools and the ability to improve your skill set today and there is now a way to do it that you can count on. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. <clears throat> okay. So our first email, and Cody, I'm not making fun, man, but you are reacting pretty strongly. But Cody, you, you echoed a few other emails we got. So I want to start with this one. He says, hey, guys, I'd really love to hear both your views on the potential impact of the latest legal battle between Google and Android, or I think he means uh, Oracle and Google. 
As a current iPhone user has been contemplating switching to Android, could the possibility of Android developers no longer being able to use the Java APIs cause a potential collapse in Android's development? I intend to purchase and switch to Android this past weekend, but was dissuaded due to the landmark court decision. I know they're appealing, but what are the potential long-term ramifications outside this instance? Could this possibly apply to Wine on Linux as well? Love the show. Even as a non-developer, I worked for a software company based out of Bothell, and listening to this show was helpful. Uh, helped this technical account manager better understand the development side and helped me foster a relationship with key members of the dev team. Thanks again. And uh, just a quick refresher for those of you who might not know uh, what Cody's talking about. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> Oracle and the Googs have been in this battle uh, for a while now. And uh, first Googs pulled ahead and then Oracle appealed. And now uh, Oracle has won this appeal. Uh, so what this is about are APIs that Google implemented. And this was a federal appeals court that on last, not this Friday, but last the Friday before, I believe, reversed that decision saying that Oracle's Java APIs were actually protected by copyright. Some legal experts assessing the copyright to the code or API say that this is simply enabling programs to talk to another, and copywriting that could be a dangerous precedent. The purpose of copyright is to encourage creativity, they go on to say, but while co- software is copyrightable, assigning copyright to a method of accessing that work limits creativity and gives too much control over copyright holder over its works that are already in the stream of commerce. Uh, now, here's the interesting part about the actual code that came under fire. That was from a legal guy who said, I don't know about this case, but the judge says it's legit. I thought this part was interesting. About 97% of the source code in the API packages are different. It's only 3% of the code that overlaps of Google's code with Oracle's code that is copyrighted. That 3% included packages, methods, and class names, which has already been pulled out of Android. So the code that infringed has already been removed from more recent versions of Android. However... Some people are worried that this might be setting new precedent that you could copyright an API. And if you can do that, that might change a lot of things. Like you mentioned, wine could become anything that anybody who's figured out the API and implemented on their own could be in trouble. And that's a lot of a lot of use cases. So what do you think, Mike? Is this a a problem for Google? And B, did they have this coming? Did they maybe not rip a little bit of Oracle's code off in this case and kind of got what was coming to them? Yeah, so is this a problem for Google? Sure, right, because it's going to cost them some money. At the end of the day, this is about money. Uh, I actually have a very different opinion. I have a more rosy opinion on all of this stuff. It, to me, it seems like the other shoe is about to drop with all this patent stuff. We've seen a, a bunch of more local magistrates uh, you know, defying the higher courts and simply striking down patent lawsuits, right? And uh, what was it, uh, end of last week, Google and Apple made nice and right. just said patent truce? I think the reason is is that the courts are getting, in particular the lower courts, the judges, are getting tired of this constant stream of hundreds of lawsuits every time a company gets funded or makes a big sale or has a you know a successful app. Or right? any time a disruptor comes into a new market. Right. So they're getting a little more reasonable. And what that means for the big boys is you either have to assert all your patents now and you know extort what you can, or if you're... I, I think Oracle's actually being a little stupid. Uh, I think what Apple and, and Google are doing is smart. Say, let's keep these patents out of court as much as possible because court's a big risk for us. Because once the patent's invalid, that's it, right? And only use the patent when you need to really hit somebody such as Samsung, right? Um, I, you know, I think this goes back to the reason, one of the contributing reasons that Oracle purchased on Microsystems is I, 
I think when they were looking through Sun Microsystems um, financials, they saw that Sun was considering this lawsuit or had, had discussed this lawsuit or attempted a lawsuit. And they said, you know what, if we buy Sun, we might make the purchase back by suing Google. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, we, we've, you know, there was a great uh, talk that James Gosling, the, the creator of Java, made when it was clear to him that that was kind of what was going on, right? And I wish I had the link to it on YouTube, but you can, you can find it. You know, this is kind of, um, I guess, Android is the best thing that's happened to Java in a long time. Uh, that's interesting. So if I own Java, would I maybe want some sort of reasonable royalty? just so I can, you know, continue to develop Java? Yes. Would I... But I would want that to be on much friendlier terms, right? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I can't imagine that Google's taking the position, no, we will pay nothing, you know, bang off, right? Yeah, it, I it, mean, I kind of feel like they are partly guilty here. Like, I think they I, took some shortcuts. Guilty, but I feel like a lot of their, their, you know, we believe this is open crap is, is just that. It's crap, right? It's their usual marketing nonsense. Google's a business like anybody else. If Oracle had said, listen, you know, just let us get something, even if it's not money, some sort of recognition for Java, some sort of other value out of this. I guess, I, I see, I, I come at this like if I think this was any other company, if this was Microsoft or Apple or RIM or Nokia, who was going to build themselves a brand new operating system or buy a brand new operating system and augment it in this way, I, I feel like they would have gone to Oracle and said, okay, well, we'd like to use this technology. Can we set up a license agreement? They would have been adults from the beginning. They right. wouldn't have done this sneaky backdoor cloning, make it compatible, rip them off. And now, again, I'm using, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I don't truly think that's what happened totally, but there is an element of it. And then when they, and then I, I feel like Google blazed ahead and said, you know what? Well, it's easier to ask for forgiveness and permission. We'll blaze the trail. And then if we get stuck in court, so be it. We'll deal with it then. Well, I think part of the thing is, too, Google loves to use open and open source in particular as its brand when that's bull, right? I mean, that's... Right. I mean, look what they're... I mean, look now at Aesop and all of the apps that they have taken everything now. The dialer, um, uh, the launcher, the camera app, everything is going proprietary on Android. Everything that's any good. And, you know, the thing is, is honestly, I'm switching to all those apps because they're better apps. They're better. That's where yeah, they're putting my, their development on my, time. On my HTC one I just got, I ripped off the HTC uh, keyboard and installed Google's because it's better, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, but I, I didn't install the Android open source keyboard. No, that's for sure. no, 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 no. Or, no, the, no, no. or, the, or now the Android uh, camera app compared to the new camera app is a joke. I would, I would never switch back. Yeah, no, that's... Um... So I... I don't. Uh, although I'll tell you from a from a broader context, the copyright ability of APIs seems like BS to me. And the previous judge described it like this: um, uh, it's like accessing a library and going to get the text of books. Uh, you know, you don't. You, you can copyright the book itself, but the method of reading the book and getting access to the book shouldn't be copyrightable. Yeah, I, I think Oracle is kind of full of crap, right? I mean, they, they have a claim, but they're trying to make it as broad as possible mm -hmm. because that's the way you win the most money. Um, yeah, like Larry just wants to – I feel like Ellison just wants to go after Google. Well, if you think about it, Google is, is really destructive to a lot of people, some people who don't realize it, particularly software companies, right? Yeah. Because Google – I don't want to get it back on my soapbox, but the fact that they don't charge is, is devastating. 
for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Oracle doesn't compete with them in most spaces, right? Who, no, Oracle I mean, I feel like Ellison and Jobs, who are besties, were sitting right. at the Jobs estate, smoking a doobie and saying, you know what I'm going to do for you, Steve? I'm going to go get those ooh, Google boys. I'm going to get them for you. This is, I'm going to take this. We bought Sun Microsystems. We've got this secret weapon that we can drop on them that I don't think we can lose. We've spent millions of dollars analyzing millions of lines of code, and we have found these things, and we think we can go after them. I'm going to do it for you, Steve. And then well, they. And uh, to be fair, though, I mean, the whole history of Eric Schmidt and Steve Jobs and how he just kind of hung around on Apple's board and developed Android in secret. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean they, you know, a certain level of animosity is right. Yeah, but now look what's happening. Is Tim Cook's on the Nike board. Although, didn't they just kill the fuel ban? So maybe that's not the same thing. No. Uh, but uh, anyways, I don't think it's going to... I wouldn't abandon the Android platform over this. We had people that wrote in and said, should I stop developing for Android? Yeah, no, that's not practical. I mean, at no. the end of the day, Google needs to, to you know, stop being a child, hand Oracle some money, or make some sort of co-marketing deal. Yeah. Because you know what would be great for Oracle? If their name could be sexy instead of weird and boring and crappy. And uh, somewhat uh, known as hostile, I would say. Right. And probably making a ton of money off the NSA. Well, they're making a ton of money off of stodgy old boring enterprises, right? Which is fine. Yeah. Oh, and I'm the anti-enterprise guy. (laughs) Well, hold on. Hold on. Let's see here. We would go. There we go. You know, I, I have more forgiveness for Microsoft because they at least try to do cool stuff. All right, hold on. Save the Microsoft thing because we've got one okay. more email to get through, and then we'll talk about Microsoft. Uh, Alan wrote in. Not, uh, not TechSnap Alan. This is Alan with a single L. He says, Dear Chris and Mike, I've been a longtime listener of the Coder Radio Linux Act show and TechSnap shows. I listen to the audio versions on my commute. There's been a lot of talk about how to become a programmer. When I hear everyone should code, I lament the phrase from Ratatouille's Anton Ego. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. There is not a single way to learn to become a great developer. The road to success is a combination of many things. For me, it started with Legos. I'm still playing with Legos, only with bits of code instead of blocks of plastic. My primary learning resource has been tech books. I learned this from a system admin friend. When I asked how he knows how much, he pointed out a wall of books, and I asked if he'd read them all. He chuckled and said, no, only the parts I needed to know. Anyone who expects to go to college and then get a posh job as a developer is in real trouble. It's a field never ending it's an it's a field of never ending learning, which is a great point. A bachelor's degree is required not to do the job but to get an interview. Tech certifications can be a great learning tool, but only the hard ones are worth anything. Listening to Jupiter Broadcasting is one of the ways I keep myself up to date, along with Slashdot and Google News. Most importantly, I take a ten inch tablet with me uh, to the gym and read whatever I need for thirty minutes a day during my lunch break. The advice I give aspiring developers is to build something. If you want to be an iOS or Android developer, then build a useful app, even ones that already exist. Try to make it better. I also recommend the book Code Complete 2 by Steve McConnell. Thanks for a great show and all the work you guys do, including shout-outs to Matt and Alan with two L's. Well, thank you, Alan. Great email and a very good point. You always are learning. And there isn't a single way to become a developer. And I think that's the hardest thing Mike and I struggle with as far as these emails go, is we get emails that are essentially like, can you just give me the roadmap to how I become a money-making developer? And it's like, no, it's unique for every single person. And that's the hard part. It's a hard, that's a hard answer to give people because it means a lot of uncertainty. Um, and it means figuring a lot of things out as you go. And people just want a master plan. They don't want to have that uncertainty. And I understand. Yeah, well... Yeah, and it's 
you know, yeah. I you mean, know, I, I, I'm with them with the whole book thing. Yeah, books. You know what? Um, books are just. It's all part of a. It's it's all part of a regime for me. It's it's online. It's it's chatting with. Uh, it's chatting with folks who are in that know about the areas that I want to learn more about, and it's reading books. It's a it's a whole spectrum. And podcasts, podcasts for me are such a huge benefit because I I will listen to podcasts about topics that I'm not an expert on, and just kind of listen and absorb some of the information. And over time, over a few months, like I'll start to be aware of current trends, and I like it, it, I find podcasts to just be an incredible resource for keeping tabs on stuff I am really interested in and keeping tabs on stuff I'm just sort of loosely interested in and just kind of want to learn more. So, of course, I'm a little biased on the podcast thing, but I think they're a great resource. I love podcasts. Yes. All right, I got one more great resource and also a great way to learn, and that's our second sponsor this week, and that is the great folks over DigitalOcean. Use our promo code. This is just for the month of May, so let's make May rock for DigitalOcean. Go over there to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code CODER. May. Now, what is DigitalOcean? You should know about it. Mike said, Chris, you've got to check out DigitalOcean. I was like, oh, I've heard the name. I will look into it. And man, was he right. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds or less. And pricing plans start at only $5 a month. $5 a month that gets you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, which means your density is going to be awesome, your disk I.O. performance, you're never going to be waiting on that. You get a fast CPU and one terabyte of transfer. That's all for $5 a month. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. And some, let me tell you about their control panel. This, this is a work of art, literally. There is a certain amount of art that is in design of something this complex that it has been made this intuitive and yet powerful. It is an incredible control panel, and power users can replicate that control panel on a much larger scale with their straightforward API. And I'm really excited to say I've seen some really great apps come along that use that API. And just, you know, for somebody like me who has a sysadmin background, that makes it so easy to integrate into the monitoring system I have or into my Unity desktop or whatever it is it might be. They also have, there's a community Mac app that lets you manage your DigitalOcean droplets right there from the Mac menu bar. So go over to DigitalOcean, spin up a cloud server that you have root access to that is going to perform for you. It's going to blow, the performance, it is going to blow your mind. I could not believe the performance I was getting from my $5 a month droplet. And when you use that special promo code, CODERMAY, you get the $10 credit. Not only does it tell them, hey, thank you for supporting Coder Radio, but it also gets you that $5 machine for two months for absolutely free. So go check them out. Try out the hourly pricing if you just need to do some testing. Or go build yourself the back-end infrastructure of your brand new project over at DigitalOcean.com. And a really big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Go check them out, you guys. Uh, They are... Not only are they growing like crazy, but particularly growing in the development community because they are extremely responsive. I've gotten so many positive notes about their support response time. Their pricing and value is so clear and obvious and so straightforward. You really have a great great handle on what it is you're getting and what you're paying for and how much it's going to cost you. They have that great control panel that makes deploying a new server incredibly easy and straightforward. And on top of all of that, with CoderMay, you can try it out for two months absolutely for free. DigitalOcean.com and a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So on the pre-show, Mike and I were kind of talking a little bit about Microsoft. We got an email into the show. It was, I got to say, this week in particular, we've gotten a lot of really long emails. And so uh, I'm trying to paraphrase some of these emails down uh, during the show. 
uh, like uh, one we didn't even get a chance to get to today. You know, if we have time towards the end of the show, I'll get to Nicholas because he's an example of a really long email about the laptop thing. Because we're still getting a lot of great feedback about the laptop. But interestingly enough, now we're getting a round of feedback about the laptop where folks have said, yeah, I tried the MacBook Pro thing. I tried it with Linux. It didn't work for me. I I, I can't, you know, I I know we have people in the chat room that says it works great for them. But we've also got emails from folks saying it doesn't work at all or it doesn't work good enough, I guess I should say. The, The number one thing was video switching seems to be wonky. Sleep seems to be really hit and miss. Trackpad can be a little hit and miss. And Thunderbolt support is weak. It's kind of like the main Linux on MacBook problems that I kind of was to boil down. But the other thing we've been getting in bits and pieces over the last couple of weeks and then last night or the other day, we got uh, got an email from a guy. I can't remember his name right now. But he basically declared that I hate Microsoft and that when I come on the show, I'm extremely negative about Microsoft. I'm a big Linux fan, obviously. And so he assumes then I must just hate Microsoft because I like Linux. And when in reality, I consider myself to be Microsoft critical, a Microsoft realist. I, I have lived in Microsoft's backyard pretty much my entire life. I have had friends and family. I have had contracts with Microsoft. I have in, interviewed for jobs in Microsoft, declined those jobs. So I have a lot of experience with Microsoft. I've worked in the industry. I've deployed Windows systems. So it's not so much that I hate Microsoft. It's that I've been around for a while and I've watched them for a while. And I have learned that a lot of times a company can say one thing and then when they execute, a different result happens. And I'm not trying to paint myself as a Microsoft hater, but just recently, just recently something happened that I think is going to set back development on the Xbox platform. And that is they've decided to unbundle the Kinect camera with the Xbox One. Now, Mike, to you, is this an admission of failure on their part? Is this, is this them reneging on a promise like a lot of people are claiming? Or is this a practical move just to get that price down? And just at the end of the day, what are you going to do? It makes sense. Yeah, I think they had to get that price down. And I think that's you know an unfortunate reality that folks don't want to kind of admit. Well, the Kinect seems uh, like an expensive piece of kit. I could understand that. Well, my issue is, I, you know, I, I was an early adopter, and I have a Connect, and since they've updated it, it actually works less well than it used to. See, what I'm more worried about is it already seems like there's a Connect tax on the Xbox One, and so a lot of people pay this Connect tax, and then right. there's been really, I mean, I have yet to see something that makes me go, you know, what? I got to get an Xbox One with a Connect. The voice commands is neat; it's nice. Um, but it's not going to make me get an Xbox with a Kinect. Where, oh, where, where is the, where is the really great gameplay? And and it, are we ever going to get there if they unbundle it? And I guess what I'm trying to drive at is this really isn't that big of a deal, but it does kind of underscore a classic Microsoft maneuver. You start with a stand that's firm. We're going to do this. We're committed right. to this path, and then as months go on. It gets chipped away until it's essentially almost a complete and total reversion back to what it was originally. And obviously, when I'm saying this, I'm thinking of things like Windows 8 and now Windows 8.1 and the next version of Windows. I'm thinking of the Xbox. This is a repeat trend. And as a developer, honestly, I would be looking at this and going, okay, well, they just sort of torpedoed Metro. And I was kind of betting the farm on Metro. So I got screwed there. And here I was gonna. I was thinking about making it a Connect app, and they've just torpedoed Connect, and so now it's not going to be as widely deployed. So I don't want to spend all my time developing for that. You see what I'm saying? Like they keep right. making promises, and then before developers can get on board, they pull out the rug and say, "I'm oh, just kidding. We're going to change it." And it just keeps setting this 
well, Microsoft's going to pull the rug out underneath me expectation. And I think that gives developers cold feet to, to target the Microsoft platforms. You know, I don't know. I, I feel like the Connect is a great idea that just didn't work. Um, I mean, is it wrong to pull something out that isn't working for you? No, no, no. No, I think it goes back to their, their original decision-making process seems to be flawed. Because apparently they probably just shouldn't have bundled it in the first place. They probably shouldn't have just jumped full into Metro in the first place. They probably should have transitioned it over a couple of releases, maybe like two releases of Windows. They, they could ramp people into it. I think the problem is they misfire on their original execution. Look at the launch of the Xbox One. There were several misfires right out of the gate. I can recall the first one that stood out to me is their first conference about the Xbox One was all about watching TV. It wasn't about the games at all, right? And then the, the major bumbling of the whole indie developer situation. And then the major bumbling of, the, are you going to be able to only buy games online? Are you going to be able to buy the CD version of the games? And the Again, it comes down to they, they, they pick the wrong execution to begin with, and then they don't stick to it. See... I don't think that was all the wrong execution. I, I, I think the issue was is you know the Xbox One could have been the futuristic console, and then it wasn't because they backpedaled. So then it became this weird um, kind of half step, right? Yeah, I mean I know the graphics are better, but in some ways, and I haven't bought one because to me on the outside, it almost doesn't even feel like a. I mean I know it is, but it almost doesn't seem like a whole new console to me. It seems like, you know, a nice upgrade to the 360, but. I don't know. I just don't feel like I need to. I don't feel like I need to buy one, and that's how I feel about everything they make. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest issue is it's not a. There's just not enough software out for the platform. You know, connect to no connect, a hundred dollar price. I don't even think that's it. I think there's just not enough software. I guess what I'm kind of trying to drive at here is. I guess I, I feel like for developers, a lot of the air is leaving the room around Microsoft, and right. I, I've been trying to I've been trying to kind of wrap my brain around what what causes the largest platform in the world for software developers to what events take place that make that software development platform no longer appealing to developers, and how do you go from number one to like number three, and what and it's not and what i'm realizing is it's not even one or two or three particular big things it's about every few months they just make another bad decision and i know everybody is really excited about microsoft right now cuz such a is in there and i just don't see how it changes much in this regard yeah it, what do people expect such an takes over and then all of a sudden it uh you know, everything changes. Well, that's kind of what they're pitching it as. Yeah, I think so. Right. I, I, I guess so. I think that's exactly what people expect. That, that's just not realistic. And so for you, are you not interested in targeting the Microsoft platforms because uh, there's not any client requests for it? What, what makes that decision for you? Do you think there's not a user base for it? Well, I think it's, it's about the market, right? There's not a user base, and there in terms of, you know, Windows 8, Windows, WinRT, that kind of thing. Uh, there's just not any significant revenue being generated. Well, how could there be for WinRT? It's been abandoned, practically. Right, and that's the other problem. It's not. You know, I, I see them more of a platform services company in the future. 
Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, that email, I want to know what you thought about the price reductions of Azure. Does that change the calculus a little bit for you as far as now they've brought the pricing a little more in line, a little more competitive with EC2 and others? Mm, it, it does and it doesn't. I mean, it, it's, you know, you don't want to be changing courses all the time, right? I don't know when the next opportunity for me to use Azure is going to be. If a customer wanted it, sure. But right now, I don't. I don't see myself changing over. I don't think Microsoft is dead, like the chat room is talking about. I think Mike's yeah, right. I think, I think they dead. they have a good I, I, platform services future. I think they're changing, and right now, what it is is that they have certain older models that are that are you know quickly failing on them. Um, but these newer newer ones will be significantly more productive. Marissa in the chat room conjectures that. Essentially, Microsoft has just made so much damn money that they could make a hundred poor decisions because they'd have a good source of income coming in. But now that's less effective because they can't really force much out of those markets, having effectively filled. Everybody's got Office. Everybody can get Office. Everybody can get a you know all, all computers come with Windows or uh, Android or Chrome or Mac OS, right? Like it's it's one of these things where they just can't quite extract some some of the same money they used to be able to. But in the past, they could make really poor decisions and just sort of cover it up with waterfalls of money. Um, and they, they're not losing. They're not, they're not. I mean, I don't want to frame it like they're dying. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is I still find it to be interesting that I guess I don't want to be so hard. But I guess I feel like what have they done to deserve at this point? Like, I, how can I have anything but skepticism? I guess people, some people see it as like a flourishing platform, but. To me, outside of a lot of the cloud services and the enterprise stuff, where they still remain um, a really competitive player, I, I'm just not seeing it anymore. And I don't know if even the purchase of Nokia makes a difference. Because here we are, weeks away from Google I.O. and WWDC. And those guys are going to go up on stage, and they are going to impress the shit out of developers. They're going to do something that every person in that room will clap. They'll all be super excited. It'll be on every tech site. And eventually after so many years that essentially has the effect of taking Microsoft out of the conversation and they're not really responding in a way that's grabbing attention and inspiring people to start targeting their platforms and it's not that I want them to die and go away but at the end of the day if they've failed to deliver on so many occasions for so many years maybe it's time for them to just change focus maybe let the market speak and let Microsoft fade away. And I know that emailer is going to be really mad that I'm saying that, but I don't know. I kind of, I kind of feel that way. I don't think it's Death Watch. Are we? Are they on a Death Watch, Mike? I just realized that I was muted. Sorry. Um, I don't think they're fading away. I, I think they're changing, and I think change is not bad in their case. It's just you know when you have online news and you need a story every week. Yeah. They're they're not they're not they're not engineered for that, are they? Well, no one's engineered for that, right? I mean, well, Google seems to be uh, managed. No, it. Google's just very good at it. I yeah, there's a yeah. They're good at putting up a front. Yeah, I, talking I about a product like Glass or Google Watch that doesn't actually ship as a usable product for years, generating hype now for years on Glass. Like I feel like I've been hearing about Glass for longer than we've been talking about pretty much anything else. It's getting ridiculous at this point. Ooh, yeah, a, little... a $1,500 piece of glass that will last for four hours is available for you to go buy. Go get it, guys. Have at it, Haas. Yeah, I, I think we need to... We kind of need to give them a break. You know, 
he's not, Dendell has not been there long enough to do anything. Um, so how can, you know, I've read the more of the same post and I've read the Nadell is, you know, the next Jesus. Neither of it is true, right? The guy just got there. There's, there's not a whole lot he can do, you know, and, and what has it been a hundred days? <laughs> I suppose so. I guess if if I was uh, if I was in a position where I was trying to, uh, I don't. I'm just trying to think of what they could even do to ch- sort of change my tone. Um, <clears throat> I think if they stuck with it, if they stayed where they're at right now and just sort of evolved the platforms they have and started getting user traction, that would be one thing. I I feel like there has been so many times where they've changed course on us that I just I'm so skeptical that they're actually going to be able to pull this off. That's all. I just, I'm, I'm not. I actually kind of. I wouldn't mind to see them actually bring a solid alternative at Google. Bring it to Google. Bring them something that Apple can't do. Do something that the other guys can't do. Give Google a real challenge for Android. I mean, I'd be all down for that. I'm all. Uh, that'd be great. A little competition would be really good against Google, and um, maybe we could start to drive down the prices of handsets and things like that. But right now, I mean, if I was ever going to switch from Android. I think I'd switch to iOS. That's the thing. They don't really have an alternative in the game that anyone reasonable would want to use. And I know this is probably not applicable to like half our audience, but like if I was going to buy a new computer today, I would not be shopping for one that runs Windows. Oh, really? What would you be shopping for? Well, Linux or Mac OS, depending on if it was a production machine or a, a you know machine I was just going to use for all my other stuff. Right. Like, it, like really, like I, I when I shop for a computer. I'm not I, Windows. Not even a thing I look for, and I, I don't know if I'm. I don't know. I'd be curious to know from the audience if that's something that's. I, I, is that just me? Is that just only? Am I the only one that not having Windows has kind of become a requirement for me, or what? I don't know. I guess maybe I am. But we speaking of laptops, we do have one more email that I wanted to get to before we go because we got so much feedback about your uh, whole hardware thing that I just want to cover one last one uh, because this one came in from Nicholas, who's been listening since episode one. So I thought he deserved a mention. Do it. Uh, he says, I was currently in the market for a laptop as well. I recently sold my MacBook Pro, and I, sorry, he's, sorry, Michael. I started out as an Apple fanboy years ago. I bought my MacBook Pro last August after not having any Apple machines for a few years. I found the build quality to be amazing, which I expected. There was two pain points for me, however. First, I was shipped a mid-2012 machine, because they don't update very frequently. It was past mid-2013, and I had a machine from a year ago. Okay, fine, I can live with that. Unfortunately, I couldn't live with OS X corrupting my external hard drives. He uh, also laments the fact that uh, OS X doesn't have any support for NTFS. He says, I sat down, I wrote down all my requirements for a new computer, and the only reasonable option for me was a desktop. I wanted Haswell for power consumption, an SSD for speed, and a Blu-ray drive. The rest would be low- to mid-range gaming components. I wanted a machine I could use for listening to surround sound music, watch movies, play games, use my Wacom tablet, and, of course, write code. I could li- I could have had all of this with a two to three thousand dollar Alienware, but I went for a desktop at a third of the cost. After giving it some thought, I think that the Apple philosophy for disposable hardware makes sense for laptops. PC hardware changes at an incredibly fast speed compared to other industries. You might as well list your minimum requirements and buy something that won't break on the first drop or break the bank. Then in two years, give it to a family member who's only ever going to use it to check Facebook. Keep up the good work, Nicholas. So I did something interesting. I haven't looked at how MacBook Pros are priced in a long time. 
Right. And uh, so I went over to – I'm going to bring it up right now so I can look at this. This I, – I cannot believe how Apple prices these MacBook Pros. So when you go to the Apple store and you look at right now – I'm pulling up the MacBook Pro. Uh, the only – when you get – so you, they have different screen sizes. So you have 13-inch and you have 15-inch, uh, right? The only thing that differentiates any of the 13-inch models at their base config – and it's $1,200, actually, it's just it's $1,300, $1,500, and $1,800. The only differentiator between all of those machines is simply the storage. Just like how they sell iPhones and iPads, Apple now sells laptops. You pick your storage, and then the rest all comes from that. So I, I, I hadn't done this in a while. I can't believe this is how they're pricing machines. Like, they all have the, otherwise the same, exact, the same exact specs. It's just which flash storage do they come with? Um... Anyways, I just found that to be, I don't know. These are fully disposable machines. Like, the, the memory is soldered in now. The battery yeah, is in the hard so, drive. So I actually made a decision on my laptop search for now. Okay. And my decision was surrender. So let me tell you what I bought. Oh, you bought? So I thought, I, honestly, I thought you were about to say I've decided not to buy a laptop. <laughs> I did not buy a laptop. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I just, I couldn't take it. I mean, it. It's getting crazy, right? They're expensive, and they're just... You know, one of the things I wanted was I wasn't... I really didn't want a Mac, but I couldn't find a Linux machine native that I wanted. And I couldn't find a Windows machine that had a good balance. So here's what I did. I'm throwing it in the chat right now. Okay. I bought a monitor. A a monitor? I bought a very nice monitor. Um, Asus's pro-level monitor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. This looks nice. This is a 27-inch uh, LED PLS screen. Very nice. Oh, it looks like it, ooh, it, re- it rotates vertically, too. Oh, this is a really nice screen. And what are you hooking this up to? So this is going to be hooked up to um, my old Dell Tower, the XPS 12 gigs of RAM. Yeah. One gig graphics card, and we're just going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, uh, here, you know, Rikai and I have been trying to figure out our final hardware configuration for the studio, and, you know, I was like, I could buy I could buy an Ultra Pro, I could, you know, and I said, like, I don't have a ton of budget for this. You know, we're just going with a NUC. We're going to buy another NUC for the studio, and we're going to hook up some nice components to it and just use that. And it's interesting that you're kind of landing on this, because this is kind of where we landed, too. It's like, let's get a nice screen, let's get a nice keyboard and mouse for it, and what we need it to do, it will do fine with the resources it has. Like, the computer's good enough. What about the portability aspect, though? I'm using the MacBook Air for now. Until I find something more appropriate, I, I might just end up replacing the MacBook Air when it dies with the MacBook Air. I will put a uh, link to the monitor that Mike got in the show notes if you guys are curious about that. Um, and uh, I'll put a link to the NUC that we got. So the, So these Intel NUCs... I know I've talked about these before, but these Intel NUCs now, I think they are, like, the perfect little, like, dev rig for testing. Like, you want to throw Linux on there and have a little local web server, or you want to actually use it as your main desktop. And now they've got bigger units that just take full-size SSD drives. So I'm going to take an old SSD drive I have, pop it in the NUC in the bottom. They're a little, they're just a little bit bigger. And this thing's got a, a pretty good i5 in it, 16 gigabytes of RAM. It's going to have a 256-gigabyte SSD. Uh, it's got an Iris graphics processor in it. So tell me how that's not going to get the job done, right? And it's like $400 right. all, all shipped because I already have the drive. So I thought that was a pretty good way to go. So both of us 
both of us kind of had big laptop ambitions and both of us kind of opted to just go with kind of the hardware we already have and and i think it's just we're mid-cycle like intel's gonna have new chips out towards the end of the year um you know well you know the other thing is like i don't know if you've you know been on any pc manufacturer's website where you can configure a desktop yeah or like have you seen pcbuilder.com that's a really cool site I have not. What is that? I think it's PCBuilder.com. It's like it lets you spec out different categories, and then it pulls in like the Amazon links. And I think it's PC Builder. Let me go look. I can't remember now. Oh, PC okay. part or PC part picker. I'm sorry. It's PC part picker. And uh, this is a cool site because essentially you just go to the system build area, and people can save their builds. But you just choose the CPU, and it'll get you all the components to build your own PC. Uh, it's really cool. It's like if you're going to set off and build your own parts, but you don't know like what's the greatest memory or video card right. or what motherboard's compatible with my memory and my CPU, PC Part Picker helps you to find all that out. It's pretty nice. And then you can like look at that config and see what other people that have a similar config and how it's benchmarked. It's a neat site. I'll put that in the show notes too. Uh, but where were you going? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just no, just that. even like if you go to the, like, the retail, like you know, the Dell.com configuration wizard machine. Um, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. And you get a lot of power. Yeah. Well, you know what I was thinking about? Is, like, what if Google releases a new Pixel at I.O.? And then I was thinking, so a couple a couple of nights a week, I have experimented with coming and going from the studio, carrying nothing. Just my smartphone, my wallet, and my keys. No bag, no laptop at all. And and I got to tell you, man, that is totally how I prefer to travel. And the way I'm making it happen, and I don't know how I feel about it, but it's honestly, it's the Google Cloud services. Uh, I have I have a lot of stuff in Docs. Oh, I guess and Dropbox and BitTorrent Sync are helping too. And I all my all my state information, like in my browser, syncs between my machines. And in most cases, like if it really comes down to a pinch, I'll just use SplashTop to remote into the desktop here at the studio from my desktop at home. So I have desktops, or in the, in the case here in the studio, laptops, in both locations, but in transit I have no machine other than my smartphone or a tablet. And that's actually my preferred setup. And I'm just thinking maybe I'll go more desktops, and then if I'm going to rely on cloud services, maybe I'll go laptop-free for a while. Is that crazy? Uh, you know, I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah. And OwnCloud could help, too. All right, Mr. Dominic Well, a right. uh, couple of bits of business before we roll. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. In fact, if you haven't noticed, a lot of our show runs on your feedback. You could kind of say you guys are like the combustible fuel that we squirt into our engines and then burn to make this show go, right? No, maybe not. But we would love to have your feedback. Over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash uh, contact. I was going to say calendar. I'll tell you about that in a second. And then choose Coder Radio from the dropdown and uh, let us know your thoughts. Try to... You know, I'm not saying keep them super short, but they have been really long. And I, sometimes they just get disqualified because of length because we can't spend like 10 minutes or 5 minutes or whatever it is. It's, they need to be like a couple of paragraphs at the most if possible. And in fact, if you want to send in multiple contact requests and just make each – because a lot of times these longer ones are multiple subjects. If you want to just send in a contact for each subject, that would be fine too because then we could kind of pick and choose the part we wanted to focus on, which helps make a better show. But don't forget about our subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. You can – engage in the conversation like last week they hated us and they hate me 
and you can go in there and you can join in the conversation about how much I suck and how I ruined the show last week. That's fine. Coderadio.reddit.com, and we'll have a thread in there for this week's episode, and you can go in there and talk about how I'm a Microsoft hater. I don't mind. I'll still read it. And then don't forget about that calendar. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and you can get our live time, which has recently moved to noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, over at jblive.tv. And if you join us live, you get to help us title this. And last but not least, I don't ask very often, especially in proportion to how much it actually helps our show. Uh, if you would do us a solid and go into iTunes and comment and rate on the MP3 version of this show, if you all focus on one feed, it, it dramatically increases our visibility. If you go in there and just leave a new comment and a new rating to kind of refresh that, uh, or if you've never done it before, if you just do us a solid, if you're on a machine that has iTunes and it's a limited set of you, we could use that help because that helps other people find our shows because that brings us up in the search results and in the listings. And if you all focus on the MP3 feed, all the attention goes to that one particular one, and that helps us out a lot. So you can find that in iTunes. Just search Recorder Radio. And don't forget, we also have RSS feeds. You can subscribe and get our show auto-magically every single week just by having that RSS feed. It usually comes out about Monday evenings over at Jupiter Broadcasting or late Monday afternoon. Mr. Dominic, if I was going to send people your general direction, maybe you're looking for an employee, a possible hire prospect, where would I send them? DominicM.com. That's magic. That's magic with thunder. DominicM.com. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter. I'm Twitter.com slash Chris L-A-S. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. I hope we'll see you right back here next week.